The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Our verse for today, it comes from Luke chapter 15, so you can open, your, up, open up your Bibles or it'll be up on the screen there. Or if you want to swipe it open too, you can do that as well. Uh, Luke chapter 15, we're going to read the first seven verses. It's the parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them a parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the other ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so. I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Morning, Axe Church. How are we doing? Good, good. So this is, this is a true story. I don't know if they put this up there for me or not, but there's a stopwatch up here. Uh, so apparently I may have been going long. I don't know. Um, but I would ask you guys to pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you uh, humbled that we get to experience your story, that we get to experience your word. Lord, as uh, we dive into some kind of complicated topics talking about family and community and brokenness, Father, Lord, we pray that it is your words that are speaking. Lord, that it is your message that is coming into our hearts. Lord, that we're able to take that and leave with it and leave changed. Father, Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So the church has been around for about 2,000 years. And over that time, uh, occasionally we get into the weeds right, as far as what we teach and how we teach it. And some of them are a little bit more funny, right? So there were times where we actually thought that garlic juice affected magnetic poles, right? Now, I have no idea how they got there, but they believed this and they taught this publicly. So that's more on the humorous side, but on the more serious side of things, sometimes the church has taught stuff like, hey, God only loves you if you're good enough, right? And so you have these extremes, well, for me personally, there was a teaching, a way of thinking about God that was really toxic that I didn't even realize until I was halfway through my pastor education. Right? So I was just about to go on my internship year, and I had a professor, Dr. Okamoto, teaching our last class before they sent us off into the field to go and destroy things. Right? Um, and he walked around the first day of class, and he said, I've got a question for each and every one of you. The question was pretty simple. He said, what is the most important thing for a Christian to know about Jesus? Right? And you've got all these smart, young seminary students, and we've got this down. We're like, oh, we got this. First person, Dr. Okamoto asks, so what's the most important thing to know? Smiles and says that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And Dr. Okamoto had this really funny laugh where he would close his eyes and nod, but do it silently. And so if you can just imagine this, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, no. Next. And like, we're like, well, well, and professors can get, you know, words kind of important. Uh, and so we're thinking, oh, this might be a semantics thing. And so the next student goes and he says that Jesus atoned for your sins, a more theological pastory word. And Dr. Okamoto laughs. No. Next. And now the class is getting a little uncomfortable. And so we start giving him Bible verses about how Jesus died for us. And we're proof texting as much as we can. No, 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 no. By the time he got done, the class was almost in revolt. We were ready to throw this guy out a window 
because we all knew that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's grace. God coming down and loving on us. And finally, he turns to us and he says, guys, of course, knowing that Jesus died for you is the heartbeat of your faith. It's what connects you to God. However, he said, there's a danger there. Because if the most important thing to know is that Jesus died for you, then who is God's story about? Well, God's story is about you. And that's what sin does. You see, sin at its very heart makes the story all about us. Right? That's what happened in the garden. We wanted to be like God. That's what separates us from our family, from our communities. Right? Sin turns us towards ourselves. And so sin can even take the story of grace, God loving us, God forgiving us, and it can contort that to make us the center of God's story, as opposed to bringing us into the story of what God is already doing. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're doing this thing called Dinner Party. And the series is all about connecting, connecting with God, connecting with church, connecting with our families, and connecting with our communities. That's what we're going to be talking about today, how grace changes how we relate to our families and how grace changes how we relate to our communities. Before we get there, just to kind of illustrate this idea of how grace changes us, we're going to talk through that verse that Grant read, right? So this is the parable of the lost sheep. And it's this beautiful story because it starts off and the religious folk, the pastors of the day, were getting upset with Jesus because he was hanging out with the wrong folks. He was eating and drinking with them. And they kind of teed him up and they said, hey, hey, no, 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 you're hanging out with the wrong folk. Us, us spiritual folks, us religious folks, we're supposed to hang out together and we don't want any part of those who are disconnected. And Jesus tells the story of the good shepherd, right? And it's this beautiful story of the sheep getting lost, getting isolated, getting separated from the herd. And the shepherd knows one of those sheep isn't there. And so what does he do? He goes off and he hunts down the sheep. And it's this picture of God hunting each and every one of us down because all of us get lost. All of us separate ourselves. Sin gets and infects every relationship, including us and God. And so the shepherd goes and he finds the sheep. But so often we stop the story there, right? We're like, yay, now I'm going to spend the rest of my life with the shepherd and it's just me and him. But that's not what the shepherd would do, Right? The whole point of finding the sheep is to bring it back to the flock, to celebrate it, to reconnect it, right? So yes, forgiveness is the heartbeat. If you ever want to know how far God will go to have a relationship with you, look no farther than the cross, right? He will go to any length to have a relationship with you, his son or his daughter. And yet, he did not save you for isolation, but he saved you for community, he saved you to connect you back to him, back to the church, and back to family. Now, this is really personal for me because growing up, my family used to say we put the fun in dysfunctional, right? Within my immediate family, we have addiction, we have suicide, we have divorce, we have depression, we have emotional abuse, we have financial bankruptcy, right? This is my last 33 years. And what happened was we were all hurt. And what you find is that hurting people hurt people. And so we were really good at hurting one another. We were really good at throwing each other under the bus. 
We always had our knives ready. So as soon as you attacked me, I could pull them out, and I knew exactly where to hit my family. Because no one can hurt you like family, right? They know all your past. They know all your hurts. doesn't matter what you wear, what mask you have. Oh, no, they know the past. They know what buttons to push. And we got really good at pushing those buttons. And it wasn't until I got interested in faith, it wasn't really until God's story came alive that it started to change for me. And part of that came from realizing the story of Scripture. Uh, We're going to pull up the verse from Genesis 1, right? And this is how God starts things. He says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our own likeness. Let them have dominion over all the fish of the sea, the birds, the heavens, the livestock, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. The image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and he said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish, over the sea, over the birds, heaven, every living thing that moves on earth. Then in Genesis 2, the story continues. Then the Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Continuing on. Therefore, a man shall leave his father father and mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. The story is of God saying the world is good. And then he creates man and woman and he says it's very good. And that scripture where it says I will create a helper for him, that is a little bit not the best English. Because when you think of helper, we think of like servant or maid. That's not what's happening in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it's talking about a complement. The yin to the yang. A way to fulfill something that's not completely complete by its own. Right? So God creates man and woman and he says, hey, I want you to have a family. I want you to have kids. And together you're going to take care of creation. And you get this picture, right? And it's this beautiful Norman Rockwell picture of all of them in the garden, hanging out, caring for God's creation, big smiles on their faces. And then sin shows up and mucks everything up right proper, right? All of a sudden, no, no, she told me to do it, right? No one in the history of families here at Acts, I am sure, has ever thrown their spouse under the bus. You didn't tell me the in-laws were coming. No, you put the pasta down the garbage disposal, right? All of a sudden, sin comes in and starts ripping our families apart. Sin had ripped my family apart. And I was in Scripture, I was learning this story, and I came across this verse in Proverbs. And it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up discord. A gentle answer turns away wrath, harsh word stirs up discord. When I looked at my family, it wasn't stirred up, it was a freaking hurricane, right? of just hurting people, hurting people constantly. Well, in that, I started realizing, oh, what God is talking about, a gentle answer, he's a gentle answer, right? How many times have I failed God? How many times have I hurt God? And yet, instead of throwing me under the bus, he gives me grace. And what he was saying to me was, Josh, I want you to pay that grace forward to your family. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, bar none. Because I had learned to hit back. I had learned that when I was hurting, it was okay to hurt others. And we'd get in these fights, and I'd try to turn the other cheek, and I would go back to my room sobbing. 
Sometimes I would fight back and then I realized I need to ask forgiveness from the person who just hurt me. But day by day, month by month, year by year, I kept trying to practice this, not perfectly by any stretch of the imagination. However, about five years ago, I was sitting down with a non-Christian family member of mine and we were kind of talking through our family and how far we've come. And their response was, you know when things changed? When you got into Jesus, Josh. Because what had happened was the grace God was giving me, I was able to slowly start to pour that grace and love into my family. And it changed things. Not perfectly. I'm not perfect. Ask my wife. She's got a full list. Um, And not my family's perfect. Right? But something changed because grace started getting paid forward. And a couple of just quick caveats here. First, families are messy. It can take decades. It took my family decades to get where we're at, and we're still not perfect. So it's a time game. And the second part is that there are some hurts, some brokenness that aren't going to be repaired this side of heaven. And it's tragic that sometimes we have to remove ourselves to protect ourselves or protect our loved ones. And grace can still come into those situations, though. Because even when we've had to remove ourselves, grace comes in and God says, you don't have to carry that burden anymore. You don't have to carry those hurts anymore, your past mistakes anymore, your past shame anymore. He goes, no, I still love you and I want to take that off your back. Grace changes the game with our families. But it's not just family that God wants to reconnect us to. No, God also wants to find a way to reconnect us to our community as a whole. So Jesus had been with his disciples for three and a half years. They'd seen him do so many wondrous, amazing things. And he started to commission them to say, and now you're going to pay what I've done for you forward into your community. You're going to start the church. And he's telling them what this is going to look like. And this comes from John 13. And Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And just keep that up there for a second. Because you see what he's saying here. Just as I have loved you, pay that forward. You also are to love one another. And then he says that the world will know you are a follower of Jesus if you love Now think about that. Is that how the world knows us? If you were to go to a neighbor who maybe doesn't go to church or doesn't believe in Jesus and said, hey, what are Christians known for? They might say, oh, they go to church on Sundays. Or they believe in a really old book. They might say, oh, they're really judgmental. Jesus says, no, the mark of the church is paying forward the love and the grace that I have given to you. And it changes things. Hey, I like it. We see this really clearly in the early church. So Christianity started not as the super strong, super cool religion that all the, like, it wasn't the latest fad, right? Christianity started in Judea, a backwoods occupied nation in Rome. Rome had come in. Rome was the big dog. They had all the power, all the strength. And this outlawed new religion shows up. And within 350 years, a religion that had no power, that had no influence, that had no nation, had become the dominant religion in Rome. 
And they had done everything they could to stop us. Uh, you've seen Gladiator? We were thrown into gladiator pits. Sometimes they made us fight each other. Sometimes they made us fight lions. They outlawed our religion. At one point, Nero, Nero was a uh, crazy emperor. He burned down his own city, and then he blamed it on the Christians. We were falsely accused of terrorism, and yet Christianity continued to spread. Eventually, Constantine came. He was an emperor, and he legalized Christianity. But after him came Emperor Julian. And Emperor Julian wanted the Greek religion to come back again. And so he decided, I'm going to do research into why Christianity is spreading as fast as it is. And in all of his research, he came up with a conclusion. And I want you guys to read his conclusion of why Christianity had spread. He said, because they are charitable to the stranger, the foreigner, the immigrant in their midst. Because together they treat the broken with respect both in life and in death, and because their outward character matches what they preach. These irritating Christians support their own poor as well as our own. Our own people are being cared for by these Christ followers. This is an emperor who wants to get rid of Christianity. Right? This is not a guy who's looking at Jesus through rose-colored lenses. And when he looks and he says, why is Christianity spreading? It comes down to they love their neighbor as themselves. They loved the poor. They loved the broken. They loved the foreigner. Because when someone would show up new to a town, if you wanted to be loved on, you went to the Christians. If you got sick and you had no one to take care of you, you would go to the Christians. If you were hungry and you wanted to be fed, you would go to the Christians. Emperor Julian looked and he goes, these Christians are just loving people. And so his solution goes on to say, so we've just got to love people better. And so he comes up with ideas of creating hostels and bringing all this food into cities. He was going to try to outlove us. It didn't work. Because if we're trying to love on our own strength, on our own human power, that's a really short supply. I don't love perfectly. By my own strength, by my own thoughts, by my own actions, I'm limited. Emperor Julian was limited, and he had the entire Roman emperor to be able to work with. What makes Christianity different is that we don't love by our own power. We love because we were first loved. We love and share grace because God shared grace with us. At the end of the day, what makes Christianity special isn't having the best pastor, because you don't. It's not having the biggest church or the coolest programming. The core of Christianity, the heartbeat of it, is a God who rescues us once we've wandered off, brings us back to community and says, now I want you to pay this grace and love forward. That's my hope for us as a church, that when people ask, so who is Acts Church Leander? The response is, oh, that's that group that just loves people, right? That's why I love Acts of Love, this idea that we're going to take care of moms who have kids in high school and walk through them. Free childcare. It's an act of love and it's a mark of the church. I'm so excited to see where we go next as a church. What's that next hill we're going to take? What God is going to do among us? But again, we don't do it by our own power. And in fact, in a very real way, we need God's forgiveness here and now. I have been here about 17 days and I have not always loved my neighbor as myself. Right? 
And yet God says, that's okay. Because I'm going to forgive you each and every moment. And that grace is going to beat your heart. And you're going to take that life to your neighbors, to your community. We're going to end by asking for forgiveness for the times that we haven't done that. And then we're going to receive forgiveness in the Lord's Supper. He says, I'm going to show up here in this moment. I'm going to do life with you. You're going to receive forgiveness of sins, but you're also going to be connected to each other. So in this moment, there's going to be a question after I do the Lord's Supper that you guys are going to just ask around the people around you, specifically about, hey, what would you love to see Christians known for in Leander and Northern Austin? What acts of love would you like to see us doing, working with, what groups of people? Before that, we come before God. Lord, uh, we are an island of misfit toys. We don't do things perfectly. We've got all kinds of baggage from our families, from our own decisions. Lord, we come before you and humbly ask for the forgiveness of the times when we haven't done as we were supposed to, the times where we haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves, our families as ourselves. And yet, Father, Lord, we are bold to ask for forgiveness because you promise to rain down your grace in our lives. Lord, as you rain down your love, as you pour it into us, Lord, we pray that it overflows and that love overflows into our love for neighbors and hurting communities that are also wandering and lost away from your flock. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you. We humbly ask for forgiveness now. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.